Alright, hi, welcome to Backless and Chill Season 8. We are here once again. We read books, we drink about it, and talk to each other. We vent. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And we made the glorious choice to discuss R.L. Stein's Fear Street Saga. Yeah, surprise, bitches! We're doing R.L. Stein Fear Street! <laughs> uh, it's, like, super good to do this. The book was not super good, but it's super good to do this because we've had, as you discussed, a lot of really, like, downer conversations. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's time to just, like, be mad at a book. Right? Where are the jokes? Where are the dramatic readings? Where are the women losing their minds for no fucking reason? Oh my god, all the women. R.L. Stein <laughs> has got you, baby. He got yeah. you. I think our problem was that we were really only reading, you know, women. We get every now and then throw in a dude to be like, la 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 la. <laughs> right? It's like, oh no, we've been reading like empathetic portrayals of teenage girls. R.L. Stein's got us. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I bet Bob does a bad job at women. We should read some of Bob's books. <laughs> well, and not just a bad job at women. It's just like a, you know, it's a Fear Street bad. book. You guys know. You know. Oh my god. Yeah. So, very excited to talk about this one. Um, we yeah. didn't do an introduction uh, episode. Right. You guys know R.L. Stein. It's unnecessary. It's like Christopher Pike. You don't need it. You know, we you know. probably don't even want it. Everybody knows. Let's get to the good shit. Yeah. Um, I did, however, have, like, I assume you might too, some, like, some background on our own personal interactions with oh, the, yeah. these books and Arl Stein, if you wanted to talk about that. Oh, also, yes. by the way, I'm currently pet-sitting, so if you hear any, like, chompy-chomp noises or little snuffles, that's just Max. He's a he's an old, ancient wizard of a dog. He's in the background. He's chilling here, so. He does. He can see everything. He can see time. <laughs> Okay, so tell me, have you ever read these books before? Good question. I know that I have because when I was a kid, Fear Street was my jam. I read all of those things until like, I don't know, I stopped reading around the time they started doing the senior series. That's about all I remember. Okay. But like, I absolutely read these and like all of the other Fear Streets, I could not tell you a single thing. I remembered nothing about this book. <laughs> awesome. I love that. What about you? Oh, oh me. Okay. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, children, turn to the covers of the Fear Street Saga books. Beautiful I had covers. a huge fucking crush on this girl. Why would you not? Look at that She's face. She's gorgeous. Look at those eyebrows. Look at those lips. Right? Flawless, stunning skin. Her eyes. There's fire. She's got a cool pendant. She's got like a cloak because we assume that that's her too. I was utterly enraptured by her <laughs> and was like, what is this? <laughs> Who is this? Where do I meet Who her? Who is she? So like, even though I was already reading all the R.L. Stein and the Christopher Pike books, when I saw this one, I was like, I do not know why I would like to stare at this cover because i'm in like middle school right it's i think sixth grade when i read this one mm -hmm. but yeah huge fucking crush on mm -hmm. nora good right there so not only were these my favorite because i love historical books mm -hmm. um these were my favorite because like teeny tiny baby crush on nora fair 
I remembered like two things that I told you, I think last time when we chatted, mm-hmm. where I remembered um, a scene that is not in this book, so I'm not going to spoil it, but it was like very visceral in my mind about uh, something involving a coffin. Mm-hmm. And I also remembered like Nora was writing the story. I thought she was being taken away to be like hung as a witch or, or be thrown maybe in an asylum or something. Um, we still don't know at the end of this book why she's writing it and needs to finish it by morning, but she does kind of give herself that time limit being like, I must finish this story before sunrise or something <laughs> like that. So that holds true. But um, I have definitely not reread these books in probably 20 plus years. Oh, God. This no. came out in 93, I think it says on the inside here. Uh, yeah. So I definitely reread it at least once since I read it in sixth grade. Mm-hmm. But that may have been high school. Fair, fair. That was still a long time ago. So <laughs> it was still a very long time ago. <laughs> and of course, obviously, all the Fear Street books that I could get my hands on. Naturally. Well, and we should also mention, like, obviously, these are not a either RL's first books or his first Fear Street books. Um, yeah, we just said, let's take this one. Right. Because these were my favorites. Well, and it's like, it's a trilogy. It's They're the first Fear Street sagas. So there's like a little bit of sense in that. And there are three of them. So you, it's a good season length. Because it's not like we could do like oh Fear God, Street no. as a series. Oh, no. They're we so cannot. long. They're so long. I wouldn't even know what order to put them in. I don't even think anyone knows. Like, because some of the... Like, the books have numbers, but then there's the sagas that are interspersed, and it's like, we, who cares? Let's just do oh, the yeah. saga. Right, and they've got, like, got the super chillers, and the, like, sagas, and the trilogies, and yeah. Someday, we are going to have to do the Fear Park trilogy, because those are the ones that I remember most vividly. Oh, and mm. I've not read those. Mm-hmm. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Fear Park? Is it similar to Horrorland? No. Okay, because that was my favorite Goosebumps, was One Day at Horrorland. Totally valid. Who doesn't like a haunted, you know, amusement park? Theme park with monsters? Come on. Right. But no, Fear Park is, I think, like, one of the fear people own an amusement park. I don't remember. I just remember things about it vividly. Okay. But yeah, no, it's like the trilogies. We'll, we'll Maybe we'll do those at some point. I think that could be fun. Yeah. But yeah, so we're, you know, Fear Street Saga, melodrama, historical, hot cover ladies. Good place to start. <laughs> we are here, and I'm so excited for it. Oh, same. What? Oh, wait, two other things I did want to mention that I only learned because of this book mm-hmm. back in the... Let me grab the book. They're so little. I read it they in like are. two little sittings. I know, they're such baby books. I love it. Oh, so I guess a third thing before I say these other two things, which are about the author, but this mm-hmm. is about the books. So even though like I was reading them in middle school and they were definitely in like the mid-grade section, there is zero reason for this to be a mid-grade book. Oh no, these are these are his teen series. Yeah, so like just keep that in mind that like eleven year olds were reading this when they shouldn't oh, have. But absolutely. who cares? Kids read whatever you want. Dude, I was I was in Kentucky. So that was up until third grade. So before third grade, I was reading Fear Street books. Oh my god. Yeah. That is amazing. I definitely didn't get my hands on them until middle school when I had access to the school library. And I think I mentioned this when we used to do Papercast podcasts, but like I would go skiing. There was like an after school skiing thing because we lived near a mountain. It was literally one foot tall enough to be called a mountain (laughs) and not a hill. Um, so it wasn't like huge, but, um, they would bust us over there and we would ski and these two like badass boys were my friends 
and they handed me R.L. Stein's mm-hmm. books and Christopher Pike's books. And I was just like, this is amazing and I love it. Right. <laughs> but yeah, I wish I had read them when I was like you, when you had. I The first one that I picked up was The Halloween Party, which also has a stellar cover. Fun. And yeah, no, I read those up until, I don't know. I read them for a Who while. Knows? I just pick them up. Okay, so my two points on the about the author mm-hmm. are that um, he grew up in Columbus, Ohio. Ooh, represent. Um, so yeah, like hi, I'm Ollie from near Philadelphia, but you? Oh yeah, we didn't do that, did we? I'm sitting from Ohio. Yeah, so like that's fun. So you could like go drive and be like, I am in the town where Earl Stein grew up. Oh, mm, nothing feels different. Wes Craven <laughs> is from like Cleveland or some shit too. We have to do, like, a horror road trip. I know, right? I guess Ohio is just, like, boring, and so people make up monsters? Yeah, no, it's it's the fucking archetypal Midwestern state. I love it. <laughs> um, and at the time of this book, which, as I mentioned, was 93, he his son, Matt, was 13, and I just thought that was, like, really cool. I had never read, I didn't give a shit about authors at the time. Mm-hmm. So I never, like, read their little bios in the back. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's great that, like, he has a son who was, like, the age that his books were, like, aimed at. Right. He, I don't know why, even though I know, like, now, like, I, I knew he had a son. I know he has a wife. It's just so weird to think of Arl Stein having a family. <laughs> Really? And it is is for me. He was just like this old weird white dude who writes these horror books, right? Like, so it was just weird to be like, oh shit, right. He's like a fully fledged human being and not just this like goofball that I've made up in my head. (laughs) He seems like such an archetypal family man when I look at him. Like, I look at that guy and go, yeah, I believe that that guy, A, writes a ton of books and B, has a family. Like, obviously. I mean, definitely, I look at him and go, you make a lot of dad jokes, don't you? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I just thought it was really fun to think, yeah. wow, your son probably didn't, but he could have read your books at that time. Neat. I don't know who it was that we were, it may have been you. Didn't you do something where you, like, watched an Arlstein video or some shit? Um. Was that not you? I don't think so. I was talking to somebody who, or maybe listening to something, where somebody had watched like an Arl Stein, um, like masterclass type deal, and they said that he was just like the most smartass dude. Like, <laughs> did not really take like anything he's ever written terribly seriously, and just a very like deadpan guy. And I kind of, you know what? I respect the hustle. I respect <laughs> that Arl Stein does not pretend that he's writing literature. Yeah, his shit. May survive only because he's written so much of it. <laughs> right. And he, like, he writes, like, pulp for kids and, like, great. Absolutely. Good Bob. We love you. Mm-hmm. Sort of. Mm-hmm. A little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, only at times because we like to make fun of your stuff. I like the idea of Bob. I do like the idea of Bob. Um, but what you just said definitely holds true of, like, every article I have ever read where mm-hmm. he's, like, giving an interview. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> he does not seem like he cares. <laughs> No, and I respect that, honestly. So again, flipping open the back where the author bio, like his author bio says, quote, where do you get your ideas? End quote. That's the question that Arl Stein is asked most often. Quote, I don't know where my ideas come from, he says, but I do know that I have a lot more scary stories in my mind that I can't wait to write. Like, <laughs> this is part of your author bio. 
Right. Is let me get it out of the way, children. I don't they're, know. They're just, I don't know. Okay. They're scary <laughs> stories. Woo. Stop asking me. <laughs> you know where I get my ideas? From the checks that come in when they give me advances to write them. That's where I get my ideas. I will say, R.L. Stein definitely taught me how to end a chapter. Oh my god, I know. We're gonna have to talk about that, because these fucking, this book is, oh my god. <laughs> you ready? You ready to do this? Yes. You wanna tell me what you're drinking? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so, um, I labored, okay, to find a good drink for this, because, like, all the ones that are, like, witch drinks, like, involve a really expensive, like, gin or something, and- like, come on, I'm a witch, I don't have that much money, let's go. Right? I couldn't find any good fire drinks, because if you Google fire cocktails, they just want you to, like, light your cocktails on fire, and I was like, well, that sounds fun, but I'm definitely not doing that, because I'll burn my house down. And do not light your absinthe on fire, children. (laughs) So, I just sort of tried to find a drink that looked like fire, and I found a drink called a firecracker. Ooh! And it is fireball whiskey, obvi. (laughs) maraschino cherry juice okay and I'm with it. i love maraschino cherry juice everyone's favorite orange juice <laughs> uh and you just layer those together and right. you give it a little stir and it looks like fire i'm very proud of how it's it turned beautiful. out please very go pretty. look at the picture of senna's gorgeous drink i'm so happy it like matched the cover and everything mm, yeah perfect. It, it really like in the photo you snapped it's like the fire is coming out of your drink. It looks very nice. Thank you. Um, so yeah, I am not somebody who likes cinnamon, so I was pretty sure I was not going to like this. Surprise, it's fucking great. I'm really glad. Mm-hmm. Sounds excellent. It's great. All right. So what are you drinking? Um, so as I mentioned, I'm watching Pets right now for a friend while they're they're away with their family. And I uh, packed up everything I needed for the podcast. The mic, I've got all my laptop set up. I forgot the booze. <laughs> you so, forgot the chill. I forgot the chill. I got the backlist. I got the book. I brought the, all three books just in case. I was like, I'm not grabbing the wrong one. And I forgot my booze. So I had to pick up some booze um, at a grocery store. <laughs> and all they had that looked remotely drinkable to me. Because I don't like anything. Please remember, I don't like things. Uh, I like absinthe at the end. Was an Angry Orchard Hard Cider Peach Mango. But it came in six packs. So this is what I will be drinking for the rest of the season. Um, So there was lemon juice in the house. And I made a bunch of ice. And it doesn't taste like alcohol, which is usually what I'm going for. Yeah. It's delicious. And I will probably crack open another one. Because it's just juicy and good um i have no name for it so i've decided to um just call it a spoiler i'm gonna call (laughs) it power through evil oh yes perfect perfect you know apples and evil and all that goodness yeah and you're you know you made it drinkable with like the lemon and the ice so yeah um i also don't have a name for mine i feel like it needs something more impressive than firecracker do you have any suggestions Mm, how about Something like Fear Inferno. Oh, that sounds good. Fear Inferno. I like it. Yeah, because I'm thinking like the mansion burning down in the background on that picture. Yeah, yeah. That's definitely the visual we were going for, so. Yes. But fear, spelled like fear. 
Yes. They'll spell like fear as in the name fear, which is not yes. spelled like the word fear until later when it is. Until later when they change it, because who the <laughs> fuck changes their name to F-E-A-R fear? Whatever. Who knows? They'll never find us. We used to be the fears, and now we're the but fears. now we're the fears. <laughs> Why don't you change your name to fierce? We're the fierce. No. Because fear. Okay, fine. Whatever you want to do, Bob. Yeah. Right. It's okay, <laughs> You can tell he's just like backtracking all of it. He's like, why is Fear Street? Let's find out. I like, no, what I find most adorable is the idea that if it's set in ye olden days, they couldn't just be named Fear. That would be too boring. They're named Uh, Fear. Benjamin and Matthew Fear. Oh my God, it's so so ridiculous. This is amazing, (laughs) ridiculous. That's not even in this book. There is... Not much in this book. No, so it's not there surprising. is really not. There is not. Okay. So, you want to talk about the cover? Did you get a book copy, of, I think, I saw? Yes, yes. Good. Excellent. I also have a book copy. I have a physical copy of all three, although, as per usual, I read on my phone. Because that's, that's, you know, easier to highlight. Yeah, I wish I had that ability to just be like, here's a book. Boop. And then, like, it would put it in the Kindle and be like, great. <laughs> <laughs> right. That would be awesome. Uploading we need that technology. Novel. Yeah. Listen, all physical books should just come with ebooks. I don't know why we're not doing well, I know why we're not doing that, but we should be doing that. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's like we know why. <laughs> and it's money. It's always money. <laughs> it's capitalism. <laughs> but no. Um you you know, I'm sure if you are listening to this podcast, you have seen this cover. These covers are iconic, ubiquitous beautiful perfect mm-hmm. but yeah it has a uh, nora fear uh with a an inferno and some rod iron gates in the background um and like a little shadowy cloaked version of her standing in front of the fire the large portrait version of nora is wearing the fucking fear amulet can i tell mm-hmm. you when i saw this picture and saw like the crow's feet grasping it i, I flash back to every time they describe this amulet the exact <laughs> same way every single time it is a circular disc with a three-toed claw and blue jewels every time <laughs> every fucking time bob i fucking get it but it's not just it's not even just this book it's every time in every book they describe the fear amulet. every generation you're gonna hear about it it's the exact same thing and oh my god it was just in case you thought it wasn't it was such a like a flashback <laughs> uh, so it's got the uh classic fear street font up at the top the fear street saga where Ooh. the terror began dun, by rl stein and then down at the bottom uh it says the betrayal so uh yeah it's classic it's a great yeah. it's a great cover the um illustration was done i believe by bill Sh- yeah bill schmidt who did like almost all of the fear street covers which is good I'm, I'm glad i know that we've discussed in the past that like it must have been bill schmidt who did most of them but every now and then someone else did one but overall like you see a fear street cover and you know it like you don't even have to see the title and even when somebody else did them like um there were a few people in the beginning who would step in and then uh, lisa falkenstern did a bunch of the fear street sagas covers Mm. But even when somebody else did them, they they looked like Bill Schmidt's work. So Right. There was clearly a precedent set. 
Yes. So beautiful, amazing. I honestly wish they sold prints of these because I would have them. Oh, just like all three of them. Just boom, 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 boom. I would have, if you sold me prints of Fear Street covers, I would have every single one. I don't have enough <laughs> wall space for it, so I wouldn't hang them up anywhere, but I would own them. You could get like three of the digital ones and like just have it rotate through. A digital picture frame <laughs> to show yes, off my Yes, three digital covers. picture frames. Yes. Oh, that's great. Um, The back cover, I'm going to read. Um, Oh, also, it smells good. Oh, yes, 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 yes. <sighs> Same. Mm, used Thank you, books from smell. 1993. Mm, mine is so brown. Mm. Like, you can tell it's been a used bookstore forever. <laughs> mine has that lovely, like, haloed edge where, like, the inner part is still kind of papery white, but the edge has that that halo of brown creeping in wow. on, like, every page. I love it. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. And it smells so good. Especially when you get nice and close. It's very, like, that clean vanilla scent that I really love in a book. Yeah, right in the spine. Just, yeah. yeah. Where the glue's at. So good. Mm, dust. It's been a long time, too, since you and I have had, like, the good same experience. Smell. Yeah. Because, yeah, yeah. yeah. like, there have been times where you've had a good book smell and I'm like, I've got nothing. Right. <laughs> and our, our Holly Black books were so new. There was no point. <sighs> there was, yeah, no. Those did not smell like book at all. Mm-mm. So thank you, those of you who are here, for the good, good book smell. We got that today. <laughs> yeah. Good news. Smells like book. <laughs> like, you can't even get that on a shirt. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm going to read the blurb. Ready? The secret is out. Why do so many horrifying things happen on Fear Street? Nora knows. She knows how the terror began. She knows about the young girl who burned at the stake and the bloody feud between two families that caused the unspeakable horror that has lasted three hundred years. She knows, and she wants to tell. Are you sure you want to hear it? (laughs) Okay. Oh, good. So I have two opinions on this. Oh my gosh, it was three paragraphs, Ollie. How do you have that many opinions? I have two opinions. (laughs) (laughs) One per paragraph. It was four paragraphs, thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, my opinion is that, one, I love it because it is so just classically Fear Street setting up your, like, do you want to hear it? You know, mm-hmm. like, that is just such a, a little horror trope. I, I, I just, they did a good job, the person who does the, there's usually, like, a little blurb on the front, not a blurb, mm-hmm. but, like, a, a sentence about, like, they danced until they died or something like that, right? <laughs> <laughs> Which I'm making up, but could probably be on one of the covers. Oh my god, absolutely. And it would be called Dance of Death. <laughs> there is one. That's no! Like, yeah, there is say? a Dance of Death. Okay, I'm going to Google it. Hold on. Hold on. <laughs> Please tell me. Please tell me. Let's see. Yes, Dance of Death, Fear Street Sagas number eight. It says... Oh, wow. maybe I did. He wanted her heart and her life. No, no, mine was better. No, yours was better. <laughs> okay so that that i love it gives me those those good little like middle school vibes of like oh i am sure i want to hear it um the second opinion is the whole repetition of she knows she knows she knows mm-hmm. because that is exactly how this fucking book is written <laughs> so like this blurb tells no lies no no this blurb is upfront 
Um, this yeah. is an episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark? Yeah. Yeah. It tells you exactly how it's going to be written, and it tells you exactly how the stakes are going to be set up. <laughs> the ratio of exclamation points to other punctuation. Accurate. Right. If you have seven sentences, wait, one, two, three, four, five. If you have six sentences, you may have one exclamation mark. In this That's book, what this back tells us. Absolutely yep. accurate. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so I, I i like that blurb even though it's nothing fancy it does it does a great job yeah no it's it's good it's a fear street blurb you know it really is and and honestly with these books too you you don't like what that says you flip to the first page of the book and it has like that little excerpt that all of these paper books oh, have. oh yeah the beginning yeah i actually skipped it because i didn't want to see yeah it is it is like a little bit they're all a little bit of spoilers but it, it's just like you know, if I want to know what it's really, really about, I can flip to that first page, and this is, like, what they want me to take from the book. Yeah. Right, because, like, Nora is there as a framing device at the beginning, the middle, and the end. So, like, if you went into this particular book for Nora, you would be sad and disappointed because her story won't happen until book three. Yeah, but book she three. is here. Yeah, because she's the current, the current good. Oh, my God. She'll still probably be our framing device, I guarantee. Oh, yes. Nora is absolutely our crypt keeper for the night. Oh, hell yeah. She's just like, hello, I am your beautiful crypt keeper. Boils <laughs> and ghouls. I have a story to tell you. I call this one the betrayal. <laughs> Great. Um, okay, but mm-hmm. going off of that, I was so hyped for Nora and Nora's story. And then I started reading this book, and Nora's story is not in here. It is not. It is not in here. I was just so blindsided by how much I didn't remember about this book, because I didn't remember essentially what this book is. It's the Fear Street sagas, but in one book. Oh. The whole point of the sagas is that they hop around fear to fear in different historical settings. That's that's what this book is. It's following the different fears in different time periods. And I... Did not expect that. I thought these all three books were going to be about Nora. Oh, I wish. I fucking wish. (laughs) It's just so funny how you can be so into something as a kid and not remember a single fucking thing. (laughs) Right. I will say that as I started to read it, it all came back to me. And not because I was like, gosh, yeah, I super remember this, but just it's tropey. Oh, yes. So you're like, oh, yeah, I know. I remember this. Oh, yep. That's going to up. There it is. Well, because this is also like every other Fear Street Saga book that happens. Like, there's always a dude who's always an asshole. There's a lady who goes crazy because of her love for somebody. Like, oh my god, I know. It's every single fucking Fear Street Saga book. So, yeah, it was not a surprise. Nope. None, no surprises. Zero surprises. But I was laying awake last night, I think. Yeah, because I only started it yesterday. <laughs> like, it couldn't have been the night before. Kind of, like, mulling over, like, why did I love these books? Because, like, I hunted down the other two. And as we discussed in The Last Vampire, it fucking ends on an explosion and we don't know if anybody lives. Mm-hmm. And I've never read any more of them. And I, I loved The Last Vampire. But these ones, I hunted down the second and the third one. And I was like, mm-hmm. why? And, you know, it's like, it's sixth grade. Um, I was going through a lot of shit. We won't get into it. But mm-hmm. I was going through a lot of shit. And... Even though this book is miserable to every single girl and woman in it, there was 
like some stuff that I had never encountered before. Because like, ultimately, I had a kind of sheltered media life until that point. By design, by my parents. They didn't want us to have access to anything that might, you know, like, influence us. Mm-hmm. And so, like, R.L. Stein and Christopher Pike were one of my first influences. And <laughs> of course. <laughs> it all makes sense. So, like, when you get to the woman and the daughter being accused wrongfully, and they're like, well, but we're innocent, so it's gonna be okay. And mm-hmm. then, like, Susanna is like, oh my god, were those other three people also innocent? And I was like, oh my god, this book understands that, like, sometimes people do shitty things to people and they just fucking lie about it. Oh my god. And you can be innocent and it's okay that no one believes you (laughs) because other people know this exists. Like, this was so important to me. I know it sounds really sheltered, but like, I was very often accused of shit. No one believed me. And to finally have something to be like, yes, that. It doesn't sound sheltered. It sounds sad. Well, I mean, I had a really shitty family. Um, so, like, so that was hugely important, like, on a personal level. Yeah. And then there was this, like, I know spoilers, but whatever. We're talking about the book. Mm-hmm. When it wasn't the women who were witches, but it was the father. That blew my mind as, you know, <laughs> an 11-year-old. Because I was like, oh, my God. A dude could be a witch. <laughs> like they got me bob got me real good on that one (laughs) oh absolutely for sure like even uh, i'm 33 years old i know dudes can be witches i watched the fucking fear street movie like still i was like (laughs) but no i i love that that was your experience with this because like we often not to bring it down again but we often talk about like books that we read as kids and you know we read them as adults and we're like oh these are so terrible like you shouldn't take lessons from this children but like you know this is obviously not a book that anybody should take any lessons from no. like bob wasn't trying but just the yeah. idea that like even in this like the idea that you as a baby was like oh no this book understands a fundamental truth about the world that i've never <laughs> been exposed to before and like that that yeah. brought you comfort it did. It did. It was like, oh, sometimes you can do everything right and still bad shit happens. And it's not your fault. You you do live with the consequences of other people's shitty, you know, behavior. <laughs> I didn't have, I wasn't that fucking like verbose. <laughs> but like, it was just, it was really important. So like, I'm glad that sixth grade me read this book. Right. There is, even for terrible, terrible books, which this is undoubtedly a terrible, terrible book. There's nothing is without value sometimes. Absolutely. And, you know, we have reviewed a lot of books where we're just like, this book is trash, throw it in the trash, literally put it in the trash. (laughs) Um, I can think of two. And (laughs) if someone told me, okay, but this was the first exposure I had to this thing that was really important and comforting to me, I'd be like, that's fine. The book is still trash. Like, this book is still trash. But I appreciate... That it means something to you, you have nostalgia, you have a connection to it. Like, I'll never throw this terrible book out. (laughs) (laughs) You know? I'm going to keep it forever. It'll go in the trash when I do. Goodbye. (laughs) Bury me with this book. (laughs) (laughs) Dear Bob, just so you know. All right. uh, Bury me with all three of my Fear Street Sagas books. (laughs) And you bury me deep. (laughs)
<laughs> yeah. It's, it's it's fun. And I'm so I'm glad we're we're rereading it. Oh yeah, absolutely. This um as we've said multiple times, this is not a good book, but it is a very wacky book. <clears throat> yep. You're ready to talk about the plot. I am. We open on the village of Shadyside in the year 1900, which let me tell you, I am very sad that it wasn't later, but fine. 1900 it is. Okay. Why Why is that? Because I had just finished watching all of the Fear Street movies, which are heckin' good, mm-hmm. and everyone who likes horror movies should watch them. 100%. Unlike these books. And those go up through 1994. Mm-hmm. So I was at least expecting Nora to be like the 1940s. Oh. Yeah. So like, that's fine. It's it's fine. But I just thought it would be later than 1900 because ultimately that means like most of her life was lived in, you know, the late 1800s. For some reason, I thought she was like a fully 1900s. But it's okay. It's mm-hmm. fine because the Fear Street man- or the the Fear Family Mansion it's on fire. <laughs> As you could tell from the cover of this book. Right? Big, beautiful mansion, burning it down. And poor Nora, like many women, is crying for her her lover, Daniel Fear, (laughs) F-E-A-R, to come out, Daniel, come out, I'm here, I'm alive, I ran out. And so she's like waiting for him, and nobody tries to put the fire out, and people are like, oh my god, the house, it's burning and yet it doesn't get destroyed and it's just gonna rage forever and nora like tries to go back in and she sees susanna good and that's how we open it and susanna's like burning on and on fire because spoilers she's burned as a witch right all right and then it done to done part one we're in wickham village massachusetts colony 1692 and we get the story of the first betrayal ultimately which is Susanna Good. She's like 16, 17, and she is in love with a handsome, prosperous young man by the name of Edward Fear, F-I-E-R. Mm-hmm. And they're gonna get they're gonna get married. Like she meets Edward in the woods at one point, and we see that they, they love each other. Oh, we need to specify she's not yes. just in love with Edward Fear. She's in love with Capital F fuckboy Edward Fear. Is he though? Yeah. <laughs> Yes. Is he? Yes. I don't know because I think in the right, you know what I'm gonna be in defense of him Ugh, later. Cold. I will discuss why because I think historically I understand his position, <laughs> even if I don't want him to be that way. No, 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 no. That man went in the trash the moment he fucking like. No, mm, oh, my daddy said you're a witch, so your defo's a witch. Like, mm, I. Yeah. He's dumb. Like, he's not smart. He does not put two and two together. And spineless. And immediately turns on this girl who's done nothing but, like, really put her ass on the line. It's, like, 1692. And she's out walking in her beloved woods. Something we know about Susanna Fear. Number one, loves trees. Loves the woods. Loves Tree trees. Hugging. She meets his ass out in the woods and, like, they make She out. doesn't do that on purpose. She just goes into the woods and he follows her. But they say that they've been meeting there, like, before They have that. been meeting. They have met several times. They've been surreptitiously making out. This man has not made an offer for her hand yet, um, sir. Like, this could ruin her if you don't put a ring on it. So, that's <laughs> okay, fuck I will, boy number one. I will give you that he doesn't admit to 
being in love with her until dad is like, you're going to marry this other girl. Right. Like, how long would you have drawn this out? He might have drawn it out forever. Like, uh, you know, the milk, the cow, etc., etc. <sighs> this girl's really putting her butt on the line for you. And she says it. She does say it, too. She's like, this could ruin my reputation. I shouldn't be out here unchaperoned. You know, mm-hmm. we're going against all the rules. And yet they're still doing a kiss. And Edward's still not putting out an offer there until, as you said, his dad said he's going to marry somebody else. And I will admit, I was shocked that he objected to that because he is a spineless little worm. So, (laughs) See, though, I think he's not because he just didn't, like, he probably knew his dad was going to react poorly because dad is all about, like, you know, back in the old country, we were miserable, we ate dirt uphill both ways. (laughs) And Edward... Doesn't know what to expect of his dad. Like, I could understand him being scared and not knowing what to say about, I like the girl whose dad has, like, basically nothing. Again, I can see where he's like, how do I tell him at the best possible moment? Is that moment going to be too late? Yes, yes, it is. See, I I understand where the economic disparity is a problem. I mean, that is ultimately every problem well, okay, so here's- dad comes up with. Here's my thing, though. Like, Susanna uh, lets us know that she's, like, the prettiest girl in the village. She's managed to catch the eye of of Edward Fear. Who is the handsomest boy in the village. Right, so I'm And don't I deserve the best? (laughs) So I'm sitting here thinking, like, okay, that man uh, has money. He wants arm candy. So, you know, so her family's poor, but, like, you've got enough money to take care of her. I don't really see why this is an issue. But then his dad's there to be like, no, no, no. You got to marry up, son. Like, we're doing really good for this village, but we are big fish, small pond. We got to look on the horizon. (laughs) I want to be an even bigger fish. Right. I mean, the dad is the magistrate, which is basically, I'm assuming, like, the mayor? He's like a judge, too, or something, because he's able to just fucking condemn people. Yeah. I I still think... Edward is 17. Now, granted, this is thinking way too much about a character that Bob did not think about. Um, But I look at 17-year-old Edward, I look at his, like, raging douchebag of a dad, and how he, in the scene with Susanna in the woods, he says, you know, I know that my father must have had proof of your friend's evil practices. He appears stern, but he is a fair and just man. Like, and he says something similar later about, like, he really, truly believes his dad. And it's like, he is a kid. He is 17. And his dad says this. And so therefore his dad is right. And I I wish we got the scene of Benjamin Fear telling Edward that Susanna was a witch. Like, I think that's a missing scene. Because I want to know how he reacted. All we get is him approaching Susanna at the jail and being like, you, you know, you bewitched me and things like that. But like, clearly the dad had to say, no, son, you think you want to marry this poor girl because she is a witch and she has seduced you. And of course she wants to marry the richest man in the town's son, blah, blah, blah. Like, I want to know what happened there, Mm -hmm. but I can imagine it. I can imagine him being like, what? No. And dad being like, son, think about it. What do witches do? Bewitch people. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Oh my gosh, she's a witch. That's what I'm saying. This boy 
Like, no. Like, if you, I granted they're teenagers or whatever, but like, I'm sorry, if you really love this girl, blah, 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 you want to marry her, and your daddy can just be like, nah, she's a witch, and you're like, witch, you curse me, like, spit on her the next time you see her? Fuck you. Like I said, I just, I don't think he should have done what he did, but I understand that he is just, like, he's taken in by the witch hysteria. Nah, man. You gotta, you gotta expect more from your love interests than that, man. Throw him in the trash. I mean... I would like to expect more from <laughs> my love interests. Um, Bare but this minimum. Is a street book. Bare minimum, my love interest has to not turn on me the moment somebody accuses me of witchcraft. But we wouldn't, we wouldn't have all of this Fear Street saga if that was the case. Oh, I know, and that's why it's bad. <laughs> I do wish, like I said, I do wish we had the scene of Edward being told. I think that would have told us a lot about his character. I think that when we see him later, like 17 or so years later, and, you know, he's definitely haunted by it once he sees her again, and like, everything changes for him. Like, I think that he realized, I mean, obviously he realized all of the bullshit and whatnot. Like, this kid was fucking duped. And he lived the rest of his days thinking that this girl was a witch, and then suddenly right at the end, it's like, (laughs) we lied. But like, this book is not, like, representative of human behavior at all because, like, all of these people yep. are ridiculous, like, plot devices anyway. Fucking melodrama. Yeah. But, yeah, no, I'm, I'm saying for the man that's on the page, get in the garbage can. You're terrible. <laughs> okay, that's that's fair. For the boy who is on the page, he dumb. Yep. Jump directly into the trash can. Do not He's pass part go. of the problem. Yeah. He does not recognize his privilege. <laughs> Why would he? It's 1692. Well, and he just, he lets his fucking girlfriend get burned at the stake. Like, what? No. I mean, look, at least he didn't end up marrying Anne Ward, I think her name was. That Portsmouth. is the best part of this, because the whole thing is that, like, Susanna, the first character, who's her, it's her perspective that you see the story from. Her life is ruined. She's literally murdered. All her and her mom. And her mom. And her mom, Martha Good. One word. Martha Good? Martha Good. good. <laughs> I'm glad you also noticed that. <laughs> Martha Good was standing her there. Her mother, Martha Good. Her father, William Good. <laughs> so many times. Anyway, Martha Good, TM. We'll never forget anybody's fucking names in these books. <laughs> oh my god. Except when you get to the second part and there are suddenly like five more characters, I could not keep them straight. Oh. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. They all they all get fucking murdered because Anne Ward is supposed to marry, and then he doesn't. I just, it's delightful that this girl dies, and then in the end it's just like, he never ended up marrying Anne Ward. He got married to some other lady He never later. did marry her, and it's like, obviously, because you fucking, your family fled the village in the middle of the goddamn night. Oh my god, it's so amazing. It made no sense. Yeah, I don't understand, because, like, nobody really suspected them of anything, so I don't know why you fleeced everybody and then left. I know! This is the one thing I still can't, like, I can't parse it. I don't know why they did it. I, uh, who, because they're fucking cartoon character people. They are cartoon Um, villains. Benjamin and Matthew. The Fear Brothers from the old country? No one really knows where that is. (laughs) The old country question mark? Like, I... I think I remember in the later Fear Street sagas, the very first one is a guy named Fearin. Okay. And I think if I remember right, he came from like fucking Scotland or something. So I don't really know what they mean by old country. Because it sounds like 
Italian, but I don't I've, think that's where they come from. I've always just kind of pictured it as, like, random Eastern Europe, just because, like, the way Bob writes and the assumption that, well, he probably was like, you know, Eastern European magic, blah, blah, blah. Maybe. I want to know. Hold on a sec. I'm going to Google where Fearing came from. He's the main character of the Sign of Fear, Fear Street Saga number four. Ooh. But the goods came from England, and they specifically at one point, like Martha Good, one word, says that they didn't come from England like we did. Right, yeah, that they make a point of saying they don't come from England. It just says that discovering the fear amulet, a young Sarah girl finds her fate linked to the revenge-driven warrior Fearin. Mm-hmm. Warrior does sound Scottish, or I... perhaps Nordic. But they don't have blonde hair. The goods have blonde hair. Fifty BC. There are two warriors named Fearin and Khan. Khan. How's Khan spelled? C O N N. Oh, like Connor. Yeah. It sounds Gaelic of some kind. Yeah. It sounds like vaguely Ireland, Scotland, something. Yeah. They're just like, mm, I'm going to go with Linked to the Fairies. <laughs> it's always fairies with you. Well, I mean, where else are they going to get their magic from? I mean, the sign of fear does explain where the fear amulet comes from, so. Oh. Well, yeah. Don't tell me. Spoilers. Spoilers. But yeah, no, they're from the old country or whatever, old country amulet magic. Or Scotland, I don't know, whatever. And the amulet that has carved on it... Latin. Dominatio per malum, the most R.L. Stein fucking family motto that's ever existed. When I saw it, I was just like, oh my god. (laughs) Dominion through evil. You can't (laughs) even be upset at it because it is so fucking Fear Street. It's so Fear Street. And the daughter and the mother are accused, and Matthew, who is not Edward's father, but Edward's uncle, comes over to William Good and is like, uh, if you give me like a hundred pounds of silver, I'll uh, get your family back. And William's like, I only have 80. And he's like, I'll take that fucking pan. How about that nice brass pan? Is that good? All right, cool. <laughs> what but then an he asshole. Likes, I know he is. He's the worst. He deserves everything he gets. He, like, leans and the amulet comes out and uh, William sees it and he, like, sees the back of it. And I was like, oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) It's perfect. Fucking power through evil. You're like, this is ridiculous. Oh, um, that was my only theory on why they fucking fled. Mm -hmm. Do you want to do a dramatic reading? Obviously. (laughs) Obviously. All right. um, So if you go to, like, chapter 60 or or chapter 60. Please, God, no. Page 60. four books ahead. (laughs) All right, give it a go. 80 pounds, William said finally, shoving the pile of coins towards Matthew. I am left with two copper shillings, but I am a rich man. Yes, you are, Matthew agreed, his face completely expressionless. As he leaned forward to collect the coins, the pendant he wore around his neck fell in front of William's eyes. It was so unusual that William couldn't help but comment on it. What an interesting amulet you wear, Matthew, he remarked. Matthew stood up and fingered the amulet, as if seeing it for the first time. The silver disc sparkled with blue jewels. The jewels were grasped by a silver three-toed claw. Matthew twirled the disc in his fingers. On the back, three Latin words were inscribed. William struggled to read the words. Dominatio per malum. Quite unusual, William said. What do the words mean? Matthew tucked the amulet back inside his doublet. Just an old saying, he replied with a shrug. (laughs) 
the amulet was given to me by my grandmother before I left our village. I wear it only as a reminder of that wonderful old woman and of my previous life, a life of poverty and struggle. William raised his eyes to Matthew, studying his face in the dim firelight. I have heard such a claw referred to as a demon's claw, he told his visitor. It is said to have powers. For a brief moment, Matthew's mouth remained open in surprise. When he regained his composure, he said, I know nothing about powers or demon's claws, nor should you, William Good. No, of course not, William said quickly, lowering his eyes. Matthew Fear collected the remaining coins, then, carrying the brass warming pan, because he's a dick, he made his <laughs> way to the door, his cloak sweeping behind him. He lowered his hat onto his head and turned to gaze back at William. William hadn't risen from the table. His entire body was trembling, trembling with joy, with eagerness, with relief. My family, he managed to say. I will make sure of everything, Matthew Fear promised. Then, pulling his heavy cloak closer about him, he opened the door and disappeared into the night. <laughs> okay, so the reason I wanted to do this dramatic reading here, mm -hmm. I think that William fucked himself by oh, commenting. by recognizing it? Yes. Okay. This is my only fucking theory, is that everything was going just fine until he says, what an interesting amulet you wear, Matthew. And then Matthew's like, and it's just an old saying, yep, gotta go. And then he's like, oh, I, I know more about this stupid thing than I should. It's a claw and it's called a demon's claw, isn't it? Doesn't it have powers? And he's just like, the fuck you say? <laughs> I love the idea that their whole spot could be blown up because somebody read the stupid inscription on the back of their amulet where it's like, oh, it literally says power through evil? <laughs> fuck, gotta go. How great that you live around people who are not privileged enough to have the education of understanding latin right that's the only way they could get away with this because literally it is like wearing a sign around the, your neck that says i am an evil dude hi worships the devil what up right like i look at dominatio all right that could be dominium per i mean like you know for or per you know malum malice so like dominion through malice like even right. i who does not speak latin can look at the root of these words and be like, that's not good. No, I think we can all agree that this is an unambiguously evil phrase. <laughs> yeah, and they wear it on a freaking necklace that can just pop out when you lean over. <laughs> right. Like, wear it in a bag, in a little satchel. Wear no. it on a longer freaking chain. Nope. And so I think that William saw it. Matthew went, oh, fuck. We gotta go. I love this. Just pure Three Stooges energy. <laughs> Honestly. Whoops, my evil amulet spilled out. Gotta go. Bye. I'm gonna take this plate on the way out, okay? You know, I was gonna let your family out, William. But as you recognize me as a devil worshiper, I'm gonna steal <laughs> your money and your frying pan. And then I'm gonna take everybody's stores from the village. And me and my brother and our wives and my nephew, we're just gonna go. The best part of this story is that they rob everybody blind. Everybody acknowledges that they rob yeah. them blind. Like William goes like expecting his family to be released at the jail the next day. And everybody's all like bummed out. And they're like, man, those fucking fears like stole all our shit. And when we like, should burn a witch still. Right? Well, <laughs> that doesn't invalidate his previous ruling, though. Like, they are bad guys and thieves, but man can still recognize a witch. So we're going to go with it. <laughs> I can't overturn this ruling. Yo, <laughs> he was using this ruling to steal everything from us, probably. Nah, mm. sounds fake. 
<laughs> Sounds fake. All right, Jerry, you got the Tinder piled up? Yeah? Okay. All right, let's do this. You know, the only thing that will make me feel better about being around blind? Hmm? Burning a lady. What if we did two? Sweet. Best day ever. Worst day ever. Best day ever. <laughs> My day is looking up. <laughs> this book. <laughs> so great. So yeah, they burn these two ladies. They burn Susanna Good and Martha Good. And then at the very end, we get that spectacular, like... Oh, it's such a good reveal. Honestly, I just feel like I hear the goddamn Saw music in my head. (laughs) (laughs) As we get this reveal. Right. As William Good gets up off the floor and reveals that he has not been dead on the floor this whole time. (laughs) Like, come on, William. Oh, it's so beautiful, too, because, like, the way it, the first thing it goes into as they're, like, going to this reveal, the house was dark, nearly as dark as William's thoughts. Dun, dun, dun. And then William puts a fucking cult hood over his head. A red robe, like, wow. I was so surprised by, like, obviously the story's completely different. We don't get lesbians, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Zero lesbians. Yeah, just BT dubs. This, these books are yeah. not queer in any way. This is the 90s and Bob wrote them. Lots of hetero angst. Yeah. I would have been super happy if there was, like, any queers. That would have been so cool. Thank no. you, Fear Street movies. Right. And that's why those Fear Street movies are good. Because they take, like, the silly bullshit and then they put gays in them and it's much better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, like, also, these books totally helped me get the wool pulled over my eyes in the movies. Oh, really? I'm like, yeah, the goods are fucked over by the fears. Yep. See, I, (laughs) and vice versa, I didn't remember anything about these books. So, like, they start out with those first Fear Street movies and, like, the goods are the mayors of Shadyside or the the nice place or whatever. Like, oh, yeah, those motherfuckers did a curse. (laughs) I know it. They fucking cursed Shadyside. And they sure did. But I was surprised by how much this first story echoed that third Fear Street movie. Yeah. Just with like the whole the whole witch angle, the whole like devil worshipping shit. <laughs> I was so surprised by how much inspiration That this it took. dude you didn't expect was actually the fucking witch. Right? And yeah, that twist right out of the so Fear Street good. movies, like very good. Yeah. Excellent, excellent reuse in the movie. In the book, very fun. Yes. So we flip to the next story. We get a little interlude with Nora where she's scrib- scrib- scribbling away. Gotta finish she's before been, dawn. Like, brought back to some house. We don't even know where she is, but she's like, this was another part which reminded me of the like the bad she knows, she knows, she knows stuff mm-hmm. where it's like, how long have I been here? How long have I been seated? How did I escape? How did I get here? <laughs> oh, <laughs> Someone yeah. brought me here. Someone found me. Someone found me. Someone helped me. I'm just like, oh my god, you're really trying to fill out your word count, Bob. Yeah, we're not here to pretend the writing is good. Do not read these books because you're like, in the description. Oh my gosh. Like, there's some gruesome descriptions, which are great. Right. But that's it. There were so many times where I was looking at this and, like, the same word would be used twice in a sentence and it was clearly not a choice. It was just bad writing. Oh, yeah. Like, how many times did we hear about somebody's fucking doublet in that first story? Delightful. Where the stuff with Nora feels like a choice. I would still have cut it down. Mm -hmm. But, like, there are ever moments that feel like, this is Bob's choice to write this in this way. He's trying to convey, like, urgency and stuff with Nora, which I use fine. Yeah. And, and, you know, in the back description, it's like, I get it. You're, You're pounding this into our head, but I get it. 
Sometimes you're just like, no, this is bad writing. You do not have an editor. Gotcha. Oh, in, in so many parts. There are so many things that I highlighted where I was just like, oh, oh that was a <laughs> sentence in this book that was published. Oh, minor quibble that I sent to you. Mm-hmm. And I loved your response to it. Bob doesn't know what a fucking monarch butterfly looks like. <laughs> I love that I opened the book to page 15 and boom, it was right there because apparently I had the book open that long. Being pissy <laughs> about it. Because he describes a black and gold monarch butterfly and I'm like... They are orange and black. And I had to, like, send you a shot being so pissed. I'm like, that is a swallowtail. Thank you. That is a tiger (laughs) swallowtail. I love you. That's Ollie, like, looking up the fucking date of the full moon in the year 2001. Like, we haven't even gotten to the fucking Fear Street family tree at the beginning. We'll talk about that later. (laughs) Okay. I have some quibbles. All right. But your response was my favorite. We were like, he's clearly not played enough Animal Crossing. Right? Because listen, <laughs> we all know what fucking swallowtailed butterflies right? look like. I did, however, look up when he listed several types of trees that were in um, Susanna Good's forest. I was like, <laughs> poplar? Oh, Ollie. Is that a thing that I should know, having grown up in Massachusetts? <laughs> Bob's just like, I don't know. What are some trees? I got a poplar. I got a Supposedly pine. poplars do exist in Massachusetts. But the ones that are really there are invasive species that, like, would not have been fully taken over the area by the time of Susanna's, you know, late 1600s. Oh my god, it's a metaphor. The fears are an invasive species in right, I'm cool with town. That. They shouldn't be here. Bob, you left this for me, and I found it with Jenna <laughs> nearly 30 years later. Thank you. I will say I am delighted by the fact that both families in this story are evil wizards. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, no, that is great. That Matthew is like, we got to go. Why? There's another wizard. We <laughs> should leave. It's a poor wizard, but he did recognize my I sure don't know clock. why he's poor if he's a wizard, but whatever. <laughs> Good question. There was actually like a thing in the beginning where William Good, who, by the way, the most beautiful of all teenage writing choices, mm-hmm. even though Bob is not a teenager, was not a teenager when he wrote this. Yes. The fact that William Good is described as being around 40, but just because of the fucking life that he's lived, has snow white hair. It's beautiful. I was like, you're right. We are all old and decrepit by the time we hit 32. I remember seeing that and being like, I'm his age. <laughs> and I get mistaken for being like late teens, early 20s if someone doesn't know me. So no, I have had the easiest life. <laughs> I am no William Good with my snow white hair. But yeah, there's a part in the beginning where um, he talks about how like the fears have like better vegetables or harvests than him. Yeah. And, as long as candlesticks or something. Right. And the wife and the daughter are just like, oh, maybe their soil's better. And William's like, no, it's not no. the soil. It's like, well, if you're implying it's dark magic, sir, where's your dark magic been? Husband, why are you not using your dark powers to make us prosperous? No shit. If you if you had been prosperous and Edward wanted to marry your daughter, she'd still be alive. So obviously this is your fault. Yeah, like, what are you doing? Are you like, oh, well, I'm just really starting out on the whole worship of the evil one who we will never call Satan ever. Oh, I love that. They never name drop Satan. It's always capital E evil, capital O one. <laughs> we can't have these things being challenged, okay? No, no. Your mom can just see it and you'd be like, the evil one, mom. Obviously evil. Don't want to do that, right? Yep. A man's head can explode. His brain can bubble out from his skull. But God fucking forbid you say the word devil. Lucifer. Nope. Not None allowed. of that. Evil one. <laughs> 
yeah, it, it got overbearing at some points. We're just like, I get it. They drop it after the first story, though. Do they? That's yeah, good. Nobody brings it up again. Nobody cares. No, and really, nobody really cares. It's like, fears, goods, evil wizards. We don't give a shit about no devil. <laughs> but yeah, uh, Nora pops in, scribble, scribble, scribble. There's more, she says. Don't leave yet. Stay for that commercial break. <laughs> it is. It's a fucking commercial break. This <laughs> is where they would cut it in the TBS edit. Because this would be a movie and it would be like an hour long. They could maybe get an hour and a half out of it. Oh, no, they could, they could milk it for longer. Yeah, especially if you want to like give the characters any development. Yeah. So we fast forward like 16 years. Oh, please open to the page before the title page of the betrayal to the fear family tree. Yeah, that's a fucking truncated family tree. Yeah, we don't know where the fuck Matthew and Benjamin come from. But draw your eye to Constance, Matthew's wife, and to Edward, Benjamin's son, and look at their birth years. Oh, yeah, Edward was born a year before Constance, so Matthew married a young a young lady. Yeah, and Matthew is the older one. And Constance is kind of always treated like an adult. Um, There's a comment in the first section about how... They came from, you know, somewhere else, and that them and their wives came over. But they've been in town long enough to become respected and have prosperous farms and become a magistrate. How old was Constance when she married Matthew? Oh, I was under the impression that Matthew married his wife after the time skip. Uh, I'm gonna look. Let's just check. They come from a small village, that is all I know. They were poor when they arrived, both Fear Brothers and their wives. Oh yeah, when they're discussing their fucking prosperity gospel shit. Yeah. Now, it could be um, a misnomer kind of thing, but I'm still creeped out by the fact that Constance is a year younger than Edward, who is not married, and is married to the older brother, Matthew, and it's implied that she came over from wherever with them. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, not surprising. Not surprising. It's just it's just very strange. Let me think. Uh, 75, 85, 95. She is 18 when she gives birth to Mary, the year after the first section of the story. So she's currently 17. They are currently married. And again, like I said, they came over like, was she 12? <laughs> I don't know. Is it? I mean. I know it's the time period, yep, but just like weird choice. Right. Weird fucking choices. Yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't know why it was necessary for her to be that young, like, and also not something that you would know unless you actually looked at the family tree. Unless you're like me and you're actually looking at the family tree, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> and there's also a later comment in the section we're about to chat about where it's discussed that Mary, the daughter of Constance and Matthew, was more like a, a sister, that like Edward and Mary were like siblings. I'm like, actually, he's like 19 by the time she is born, so... That doesn't make any sense at all. Wouldn't yeah. Constance and Edward be more like siblings? Yeah, that that weirded me out because I was like, but wait, he was her age that she is now when the last yeah. movie took place, which was so why are you siblings? Ago. So it's why very are they have like their kids together? I don't understand. Or if it had been, oh, Edward and Mary acted more like, you know, like she was his daughter, like just anything that wasn't siblings, because like it really set up this dynamic that I don't think was the intention. I definitely didn't have when I read it when I was a kid, because I was just like, yep, they're like siblings, close in age. 
Well, and it wasn't a necessary dynamic, so I don't understand why he felt the need to to say Agreed. that. It was, it was Agreed. Weird. Just want to point that out that he's um not good at this this game that I am, in fact, <laughs> obsessive about. Yeah, it's weird. So yeah, yep. they flip forward sixteen years, seventeen ten, Western Pennsylvania frontier. It flips to the perspective of Mary, who is the daughter of a very young Constance. And very young Constance. She is uh, living out on the Fear family farm. I did not realize they were so close to another town. I kind of got the impression that they were out there by themselves, but apparently they're not far off from another town. Yeah, they're not far from a town, but it was suggested that there were no kids Mary's age. And considering Mary is 16, 17, that's very weird. Yeah, I guess the point is that they're like isolated enough that she can't like socialize with other people, which is why her 16 years older cousin cousin is like her bff so they're all you know having like a happy life having murdered two women and stolen the (laughs) livelihood of an entire village edward never asks the question like why do we have all this this food stores i don't know i'm telling you he's a fuck boy i think he's just oblivious he's just just a real piece of garbo anyway (laughs) himbo edward writes (laughs) no no, himbos <laughs> have to be good, pure of heart, with kind intentions. This man is I not. think he had kind intentions. They have to be not smart, which he is definitely not smart. They have to be good looking, which he is described as the most good looking. And they have to be kind. See, a himbo would have remained by Susanna's side and pled her case. I want a rewrite where <laughs> he's a himbo. Sure, I mean, <laughs> fine. But not as written, inaccurate <laughs> to canon. He tried to be a himbo and he failed. <laughs> he crit failed on his himbo check. <laughs> I just see him being like, wait, dad, hold on. Fuck. All right, I believe you. Right, dice rolling sound. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, they're out there on this farm. You know, they are prosperous and shitty people. <laughs> And um Okay, they're not shitty people. Matthew and Benjamin are shitty people. Uh complicity. Mm. But are you complicit if you don't know? Do they not know? Are you a literal child? Well, I mean not those I'm talking mostly about like the wives and stuff. Okay. We don't know. I will go to bat for Constance in that again she was like (laughs) seventeen when her husband was probably like we are leaving right now, pack up your shit. And she is a wife in 1692, who is a child herself. And her, wait, how old is he? 15 years older than you, so. I mean, possible. I'm just saying, also possible that she knew he was an evil wizard. Margaret is dead, Benjamin's wife, Edward's mom. So it was Constance, Matthew, Benjamin, and Edward just fucking packed up in the middle of the night. Edward probably suspected something was weird and being like, why aren't we going to Portsmouth? That's north. Mm -hmm. And Constance was probably like, I'm keeping my mouth shut. (laughs) Okay, so they're like 50% shady people. Sure, 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 sure. sure. I'm fine with that because you know what? The Fear Street movies, I was happy that the fucking brother kind of got what was coming to them. (laughs) So I'll go with I'll go with witch privilege. (laughs) You know, they benefited from it. Yeah, okay, fair. They're out there on their farm one day, and then, like, a beautiful model- Oh, wait, before that. No, no, before that. Huh. I'm sorry. Before that, Edward slips and falls and breaks his fucking arm by, like, falling off the roof. 
Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, That's we see, important. We see an insert of William skeeving on them from the trees, having yeah. a very melodramatic Weird. monologue about oh, how he's, he's been so searching for them for years, and he's finally it found them. It is a journey them. of years. He's going to have his revenge, etc., etc. And then, like, bad stuff starts happening. Like, Edward yeah, falls off uh, the roof. He breaks his arm. Uh, Constance slices open her fucking hand. Yeah, you know, people start injuring themselves. Yes. Okay. And, and then, then, thank you. Like Fabio a beautiful breeze, man. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> Jeremy shows up. His shirt is mostly opened. His hair is blowing. Beautiful in the breeze. I kind of pictured him with like a Brock Sampson haircut. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> okay, fair, 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 fair. Because it's long. This incredible curly blonde mullet. He's <laughs> like, hey. Because that was hot in the nineties. I need to. Uh work on your farm i guess <laughs> yeah jeremy thorne needs a job jeremy thorne an amazing name thorne with an, an e with an e <laughs> i am not a thorn in your side at oh, all god that probably is what it is bob i know i see right through you bob so mary is immediately just boy hello <laughs> oh my god it's a pretty boy and he's here and he's talking to me and he's not related to me. Awooga. Lady boner. She immediately gets horny for Jeremy. And she, she goes back. She's like, no, no, no. Edward just like broke his arm. We need somebody to help, you know, on the farm. And Edward is like, yeah, that's a fact. And her dad's like, ugh, I guess. Fine. But don't fucking touch my daughter. I see you, poor. <laughs> don't lay a hand <laughs> he, he on her. He doesn't say it, but he says it with his eyes. Right. Like, you know, that's what's going through his mind. Because you know what happened the last time a poor tried to touch one of their family? We had to move. We had to burn them and then leave. So. <laughs> oh, so awful. God, I hate them. Immediately, Mary starts going out and, like, flirting with Jeremy. Because, of course, she would. Like, she's had no other fucking human interaction. Right? The only person who is her fucking friend. Not the girl who is basically, like, closer to her age because she's her mother. But, <laughs> uh, you know, her much older cousin. BFFs. Totes. So, Jeremy starts working for them. Bad shit continues to happen. Unsurprising. It's called karma and also William Good. There's a great part where Benjamin has like a stroke or something and they find him like passed out on the floor. But everybody, Is he dead? Everybody thinks he's dead. It's so funny. Rebecca, Edward's wife, comes in and she grabs Mary and she says, come quickly, Mary. Something horrible has happened. Just, and just fucking say anything. They go into the room and they find Benjamin kind of looking dead on the floor. <laughs> and Mary cries out. And then they like spend a couple of sentences trying to figure it out. And then Edward walks in and he cries out. <laughs> so ridiculous. This is great. Do you remember the um the SNL clip where it was like the parody of the OC? Where like every time somebody shot somebody, they would keep playing a clip of that. That Imogen Heap song. <laughs> I pictured that. It's amazing. It's fantastic. It's Arl Stein, A plus writer. Like, it's ridiculous too because it's like Rebecca had to have found him and been like, "Oh my god, are you dead? He might be dead. I'll go get someone else." Oh, I've got Mary. Oh my god, is he dead? I don't know. I don't know. Oh my god, Edward. Oh my god, is he dead? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> oh, he's not dead. Finally, the motherfucker just wakes up. Right, he blinks. I'm not dead yet. I ain't dead. But he did, in fact, have a stroke, and now I can't use one of his legs, or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, wow, it's so weird. There's, like, no pain. It's just like it's not there. Huh. Right. But time passes, and uh, he slowly uses the use of the rest of his limbs. 
<laughs> yeah, one by one. It's like, and then he uses his left arms, you said, then his right leg, and then his right arm. And for, like, the first two limbs, he's like, mm, this is weird, but it doesn't hurt, so, like, whatever. By the time they get to that third one, he is like, what the fuck is happening to me? Yeah. Did anybody die between that and... No, not did yet. Did Matthew die or anything? No, Matthew doesn't die. Not until later. Yeah, um... No one is dead when this next scene happens that you're talking about. Okay. Oh, we haven't mentioned that there's, like, a six-year-old boy. Oh, yeah, the son. Edward's uh, son. Yeah. He is a difficult child, as we are repeatedly told. Right. That's, like, a something that has been a problem for Rebecca. Poor fucking Rebecca. Like she has to, like, constantly be at his side or he flips out. Sad, because she was, like, all happy and giggly when they met. It's described her and Edward. Mm-hmm. And then, like, six years of raising Edward and working on a farm, and she's just fucking tired yeah she's like you know what Susanna you got off easy let me tell you (laughs) you just got burned at the stake I have to live with this man and raise his child disgusting so all the poor women oh yeah I know even the like male son is just there to like give his mother a hard time (laughs) yep they're coming back from the woods they being Mary and Edward after having a you know heart to heart cousin BFF, father-daughter yeah. chat. <laughs> and they see... Pick away, like, it's fine. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Are they friends? Are they cousins? Is your dad? <laughs> um, And they see uh, like a fireball in the middle of the woods. They see somebody in the flames and Mary realizes it's a girl in old-fashioned clothes, which I love because it's only like 16 years ago, but yeah, old-fashioned. Right. But like, hey, you know, I mean... If I was a teenager in the 90s and I saw someone in, like, 60s clothes, you know, I'd have been like, oh my god, she's in, like, old 60s clothes. I guess. I'm just over here, like, how quickly was fashion progressing in, like, a Pennsylvania farm? Yeah. I mean, but William Good described, I think it was Mary, having, like, the most expensive fabric, so Mm. clearly they were on the cutting edge of trends. And even Edward, back in the Wickham Village, was like had fancy clothing. So I I will let it pass that they know what's fashionable and what is not. That's fair. They do they do say that they are wearing fancy dress clothes because, you know, they're rich. They gotta show it. <laughs> but yeah, no, definitely it's like, ooh, she's like got like old people clothes on. <laughs> yeah. Uh she sees this girl burning in the fire and Edward flips out because he obviously recognizes it as Susanna. God, could you imagine you grow up and you don't know that your father and your uncle burned five people. I mean, that's like 90% of gothic horror right there. Like, oh, my family did something (laughs) terrible that I didn't know about. I never knew about, but now I face the consequences for. Terrifying. Terrible. Uh, The fire kind of fucks the two of them up. Nightmares for days. Jeremy and Mary bond over it. Oh, right. She's like, Jeremy, Edward recognized the girl. After Jeremy tries to fucking gaslight her. Yo, yeah. I mean, Jeremy is nothing but a walking gaslighting machine. Oh, he's a total dick for so many reasons. (laughs) For some more delightful reasons than others. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so they they have their conversation. They're basically like, oh, we are children in love now. I have known you for all of a week. Yeah, you know, as you do. Which reminds me, though, in this section, like at the beginning of the section, we get descriptions of Matthew. And Benjamin. Mm-hmm. And they're both, like, described so fucking old. And I don't just mean, like, oh, they're old men now. Like, they're old, decrepit, falling apart. 
Benjamin is 57. They also cannot stop talking about how fat his brother is. Matthew or Benjamin. They can't stop talking about how fat one of them is. Matthew is fat, and I was just like, okay, we fucking get Benjamin. (laughs) No, you haven't heard. He can't fucking close his shirt. That's how fat he is. You know, Matthew got fat. Oh my god, we don't care. (laughs) It's so funny. And he's only seven years older than him, so he's like 60-something, like 64 or whatever. Like, it's it's cracks me up. They're described like they're 90. <laughs> it's because Arl Sight understands his audience, and anybody <laughs> over 32 is fucking ready for the grave. What was it? I think it was even in the Fear Street movies where someone was like, no, they're like old. They're like definitely like over 30. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're basically dead. <sighs> so... Uh, Mary comes home one day to find she she takes I think it might be this. No, it's the same day. Yeah, because she stops by with the sweet rolls, and then she's like, "I really gotta go, smoochy smoochy." Uh, to find uh Rebecca dead. Mm-mm-mm. Real bummer. First actual bummer death of the book. It's so sad because it's implied that she like hung herself. I mean, she's hung. And it's implied that she did this to herself. Right. And I feel like the actual, like, implication there is that Ezra was such a difficult fucking child. <laughs> this lady was like, I got, I'm done. I, yeah, I'm clocking out. My shift is over. <laughs> Edward, it's your years. turn. I tried. Yeah. I mean, Edward at one point early on in the section even fucking says to Mary, like, no, your place is in the kitchen. Oh, <laughs> so yeah, like, yeah, yeah. What, what does he say to Rebecca? <laughs> Right, no, this guy's, again, a real scumbag. So, Mary finds Rebecca dead. And she's that- not a bad one. She's the one that saw Edward fall from the roof. Rebecca came and dragged her over to see Benjamin had his stroke. Then she finds Rebecca. She saw the the girl in the, the flames. Like, she's just having a bad week. Oh, she's about to have a worse night because literally, like, everybody dies tonight. Like, almost yes, everybody. Yes, that night. No, only one person. Only one more. Really? Edward? Yeah, no, it's only... Right. Edward doesn't die. Yeah. It's just Rebecca and Benjamin. It's... No, it's actually a very, like, good R.L. Stein scene because, like, Rebecca, like, sees, like, the the cliffhanger for the chapter. Mary sees, yeah. Sorry, yeah. Mary, see, I can't keep these fucking old English names straight. They all are kind of the same. Rebecca, Mary, Edward, Constant, Mary is our current Matthew, protagonist. Ezra. All names you find in the Bible. Well, such as it was. Yeah, exactly, which is why it's impossible to tell them apart. <laughs> so, uh, Mary goes running out into the woods trying to find somebody to tell them that Rebecca's dead. And, yeah. like, halfway through, she, like, falls in the rain and, like, in the mud and then looks up and she sees a dark figure standing out in the field. Death. Gasp, it's a scarecrow. Gasp, it's actually a human scarecrow, because that is my <laughs> Uncle Benjamin hung up dead. I loved this scene when I was a kid and I'd forgotten it. <laughs> oh my god, really? Yes, there's something... So, so, I am legit afraid of things coming to life. Okay. So, scarecrows are already pretty fucking terrifying. That's fair. Um, this is why I like to work at haunts, because then I get to be the thing that comes to life. Right. But... The idea of, like, a scarecrow coming to life or a scarecrow being a thing that was previously alive mm-hmm. is so creepy to me. It's a fun scene because it's a, it was a double fake out. 
It was. At first you think, oh no, there's something creepy. There's a man. Is it William Good? Because Jeremy's dad is probably William Good, one is supposed to think. Uh Uh-huh. And then you're like, oh no, it's just a scarecrow. Oh no, it's Uncle Benjamin! It's a human scarecrow. Good stuff. (laughs) It was really good. Uh, they... It's a great, another good cliffhanger where she's like, is everyone dead? Has my whole family been killed? Will I be next? Dun, dun, dun. But um, the next chapter, the funeral for Rebecca and Benjamin <laughs> was held two days later. We, there's so many scenes that it's like, Bob, you filled up these sections with repeated questions, words. Like just You could have given us the scene that Edward... Because we've already seen that Edward, you know, talked to his dad. We could have seen Edward being told that Susanna was a witch and seen any of that. We could have seen poor fucking Mary trying to explain to everyone that these two were dead. No, 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 no. I just want to cut right to the funeral. And we'll just kind of glance at what happened. Yeah, they, they cut to the funeral and then they cut back to like a description of Mary telling everybody and Edward being a real dick about it. Surprise, surprise. Being like, no, you had a nightmare. <laughs> it's like, nope, definitely not. Yep. It's just like two paragraphs when we could have had a fun scene. And that is... I mean, there's a lot of failings in R.L. Stein Fear Street books, but definitely, I feel like that teaches a lot of kids who go on to be writers that that's okay. And I don't think that's okay. I honestly, I mean, as we've discussed, admiring people who are able to like transition through stuff like scenes and shit. Like, obviously, this isn't good writing, but like the fucking snap, snap, snap with which Arlstein just fast forwards through the scenes. It's just like, you know what? You know what, Bob? Efficiency. (laughs) I do appreciate that. I do appreciate that he can just be like, it's the funeral now. Even though the scenes that have the most, most emotional impact keep not being there for me. Right. And well, Bob, again, knows what he's writing. Like, nobody's here for emotional impact. We're here to see ladies scream and heads explode (laughs) and 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 human scarecrow. Bodies. Yeah. All about the gore. Is there any gore involved in this? No. There's just, you know, the gothic horror of a man losing everything around him because that's what we really care about. But we're going to view it through the eyes of the 16 year old girl. Right. So, like, Bob is not here to make you care about these characters. This is going to be my problem, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to be like, emotions! And it's going to be like... Oh, yeah, no, that's down. not what these books are for. <laughs> so, there's a funeral, blah, blah, blah. Poor Ezra. Yeah, Ezra is devastated. Now Constance inherits fucking child Ooh, care duties. Nightmare child. Which, like, Mary, you, the line is getting shorter. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be you soon, Mary. Right? Mary's just looking down that fucking line, just like, oh, shit. Oh, shit. If she goes, I'm next, and it's my responsibility. (laughs) So, after the funeral, Mary meets up with Jeremy, and he has a confession. It's a kind of a confession, isn't it? Where he tells Rebecca the history of his family, which is that his father is William Good. And he tells her about, like, what happened to Susanna and what happened to, like, oh, it's it's your family has done really shitty things to my father and his previous family before he had me. It was all and, before my time. Yeah, he's he's doing this for revenge. And there's a delightful part. Do you want to be Mary or do you want to be Jeremy? 
I'll be Mary since you wanted to do this section. You can have the fun one. Alright, go ahead. No, Mary uttered in a hoarse whisper. I cannot believe this, Jeremy. This is the story my father has told me all my life, Jeremy said, grabbing her hand. All my life he has sought revenge against your family and the fears. And now, now my father has begun to take his revenge. He has murdered two fears. He will murder you all, unless we do something. Mary stared into the gray sky as if in a daze. She didn't move or speak. Jeremy's words hung in her mind, lingered, repeated, creating ugly pictures, pictures of fire and suffering and treachery. Why should I believe you? She demanded finally, her voice small and frightened. Why should I believe these horrible accusations you make about my father and uncle? Jeremy's reply stunned her. Because I love you. (gasps) She gasped. I love you too, Jeremy, she replied breathlessly. All right, the I love you too, Jeremy, and they wrap each other in arms. They're kissing. We can stop the hatred now, Mary. You and I, we can stop the hatred between our families so that no one else will die. How, Jeremy? How can we? We love each other. We will marry. When we marry, our families will be one. The old hatred will be forgotten, and the goods and the fears will live in peace. Yes! Like that, that, that fucking melodramatic bullshit. Amazing. I love. So ridiculous. That he he tells her this story. Oh, your father, your grandfather and your uh, your uncle and your father were murderers. They murdered two innocent women. Why should I believe you? Because I love you. (laughs) Oh shit, I love you too. (gasps) Fuck. Yes, this is gonna work. Where is the proof, Mary? Citation needed. Um, I believe it is. Uh, um, I love you. Oh, well, that changes everything. Okay. Oh, you're right. I must believe you then. Oh, what so was good. it that we read? Oh no, we were watching fucking uh, Great Comet. Oh yeah, and she was like, "How could I hold in my hand his letter of love if it wasn't true? How could I feel this way?" If I didn't love him, come on. Right? And because I love him, that means he's a good guy and wouldn't lie to me, therefore. wouldn't be in love with a dude who would try to already be married and try to take me away and marry him. You know, because I feel that way. Teenagers. Except Jeremy is so, like, Jeremy's a bad person, but he's been wronged. But also Jeremy is so good at this game. He is very good. Like, oh, reading it, because I remembered immediately once he showed up. I was like, oh, shit, this is going to be weird. (laughs) I remembered immediately the twist. I was just like, you're so good at being evil. He is. Dude, so I didn't remember anything, obviously. So I was sitting there like, I know what this sounds like it is, (laughs) but that's really creepy. Yeah. Is that going to be this? And then he was like, like you said, he was so good at it. You know, he was like, oh, I love you. And oh, my father. And oh, we can be the ones to end the curse. And so I was like <sighs> lulled back in. I was like, oh, okay. So it, you know, it's his son. I gotcha. It's I gotcha. so sad because it's like he can see that it could have ended. Right. They were ready. Except that, you know, Matthew wasn't. Like, Matthew and Benjamin, that generation fucking sucks. Mary and Edward, for whatever their faults may be, were not at fault because Edward just wanted to marry Susanna. 
And Mary just wanted to to marry Jeremy. Mm-hmm. That generation was like, we don't have to fight. Why are we fucking fighting? Yeah. I wonder, like, because the, it's such a weird play from Jeremy slash Jeremy. Yes. Uh, <laughs> to, to be like, oh, no, we can end the hate. Just marry me. And then, like, agree to, like, meet with her family and stuff. Like, what was yeah. your end goal here, buddy? I don't know. He says it later and we'll get there. Right. He says it. But, like, what what yeah. would you have done after that? Right? Like, when were you going to reveal your, your, your Would you have plan? ripped off the mask then? Like, <laughs> what? Or, or would you just live happily? Like, yeah, I don't know. He could have. And then, like, be like on your deathbed, I'll be like, dun dun dun. It was the groundskeeper. <laughs> Right. I I don't know. I'm very, very curious. But obviously, it doesn't matter because that's not what happens. So she goes in, I think, to. Oh, oh no. Edward had overheard the story and is like, that's lies. This boy is lying. He's filling Mary's head with, you know, false tales. And he runs off to talk to Matthew and is like, Susanna did this thing, right? And at first, Matthew is like, yeah, definitely lies. All lies. Calm down. No truth at all. And then Mary shows up and he's like, I reversed my decision. It was all true. <laughs> I know. Immediately. <laughs> he's just like, well, now there are two of them. I guess, you know, if two people ask me the same question, I can't lie. That's against the law. <laughs> That's why we had to leave the village. I love how um, succinctly and not dramatically you put it because the actual dialogue here is fucking wild yeah sure you want to go through dialogue sure yeah 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 because it's so like it's so good all right i'll take edward's lies sure lies he declared to himself the boy speaks lies and he has filled poor mary's head with these unthinkable false tales and i am edward and i go back to the house and i'm gonna go to try to find my uncle no susanna burned because she deserved to burn my father and uncle are righteous men uh, and then he bursts into the house and Constance is like, Edward, come and sit down. Not now. Hello, Papa. Whoosh, ignore the child. <laughs> <laughs> Uncle Matthew? Edward, the, the funeral, it, it went well, I suppose. Uncle Matthew, I must ask you something. I heard a horrifying story just now about you and my father about the days when we lived in Wickham. What kind of story, nephew? About Susanna Good, that she was falsely accused, that she was condemned to burn by my father, even though he knew of her innocence, that you and my father robbed the town and fled. These stories cannot be true. Tell me that they are lies, Uncle. Tell me! See, he wants to be lied to. Tell me lies! Tell me sweet little lies! (laughs) Calm yourself, Edward. Rest easy, my boy. Of course those stories are lies. There isn't a word of truth in them. I must know who is spreading these false stories. Father, I must speak to you, I... Mary, poor Mary. Will he kill you too before this is (laughs) over? Father, what are you saying? Edward, the stories are true. I know you said differently like 20 seconds ago, but... Uncle Matthew, please do not tell me this. Tell me lies, tell me (laughs) lies. I must, I must... I cannot carry on with my lies for some reason. (laughs) Seeing Mary made me realize it is finally time to tell the truth. 
We are all in too much danger. I don't care about you. I do care about my upset <laughs> Care daughter, about though. my daughter. My daughter's born. What are you saying? Cousin, what are you talking about? An innocent girl. A girl I loved died because of my father. And I condemned her as much as my father did. You did. It's true. You fucking <laughs> live in it. <laughs> and I, the rest of I your can... life. <laughs> your father wanted the best for you, Edward. The best? You never told me why we left Wickham. My father never gave me a choice. Yes, he and I both wanted to make sure you never experienced the poverty we experienced. Eating dirt But we went too ways. far. <laughs> you overheard my talk with Jeremy. Yes, and I came directly here to confront your father to learn the stories are all true. I'm afraid they are. Poor Susanna Good, how I wronged her. You and Uncle Benjamin burned an innocent woman and girl. It it was a long time ago before you were born. I can change. (laughs) And now William Good has had his revenge. He has murdered my wife and my father. We will make him pay. No, no. We are even now. We will make peace with the goods. Peace? Edward, have you lost your senses? He murdered Rebecca and Benjamin. We will make peace. Jeremy Good and I are in love. <laughs> Blurp. <laughs> it's, just, it's so amazing. It's just so fucking just like everybody is on 11. Oh, God. I want to see friggin' Jeremy Irons chewing the scenery with this. <laughs> yes, Jeremy Irons as Matthew Good. Yes, Amazing. do it. Do it now. Perfect casting. Let him just throw himself around the room. <laughs> yes, let him, like, rip a curtain out of his <laughs> mouth and then just like, no, 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 we will never have peace. No peace. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so funny, because, like, Matthew gets all pissy about, like, Jeremy being William's son, and they're like, we gotta apologize, and they're he, he, he like, says... Yes, this is fine. We shall apologize. Definitely. It was like, mm-hmm. I see right through you, Matthew. Yeah, right. Because like immediately, Mary is like, oh, we, we're we in love and he wants to come over for dinner. Yeah, and he's like, ah, dinner. Definitely nothing terrible will happen yeah, there. Sure. <laughs> I definitely won't poison him and his father. Which is what I was thinking was going to happen. Uh, yeah. I'd forgotten how it all went down. I'm just like, oh, does does he try to poison them and then Mary dies? I don't remember the specifics. I love the idea that we thought that Arlstein would ever be that subtle. <clears throat> no. Oh my god. The scene is amazing. This is amazing. Um, I definitely want to read this one. Sure. We're just going to read the whole book to people. Be great. I, it's so good, you guys. It's, it's so, so ridiculous. Good. Like, if you ever just need to, like, read something on a plane and laugh, you can, I, I mean, it's such an easy read. I did. I laughed out loud reading it last night when this happened. Yup. So they say, all right, a week of mourning and then... William and his son can come over and I'll fucking apologize. Okay, okay, okay. Okay, so the previous chapter ends like this, which is fucking just, oh, so good. Okay. Uh, Jeremy comes over and Mary greets him and she's like, oh, yay. This is so wonderful. This is a dream come true. Jeremy is here in my house. I'm so hippie. (laughs) And then the very next sentence, Mary couldn't know that in two seconds time, 
two ticks of the clock, her happiness would turn into unspeakable horror. Bob. Bobbert. Bobbert, what is that? Bobbert Robert Stein. (laughs) Robert. (laughs) What is that? It is called a commercial break. And you see the Crypt Keeper again. (laughs) Two seconds chime, two ticks of the clock. Like... I loved that description. I'm so glad you also did because it was <laughs> ridiculous. Like not in two seconds time or in mere moments, her happiness no. would turn to us. No. Two Very seconds. specific. One. Two. Done. <laughs> no more happiness for Mary Fear. And it, it fucking delivers because the next page, which in my edition, I don't know about your edition, mm-hmm. you don't even have to turn a page. It's no, just like it's just right on there. the other side. Boop, boop. Yep. It's on the other side. So, can can I be Mary? I really want and to I, be Yeah, Mary. I was going to say, you should probably be Mary, because I'm going to okay. be reading the dialogue. <laughs> yeah, okay, okay. <laughs> okay. So, oh, guys, you all need to fucking sit down, buckle up, pull your car over to the side of the road if you're driving. Like, really take a moment uh, to absorb what's about to happen. Because we've, we've got, like, 400 words of a chapter, so let's do this. As Jeremy crossed the room to greet him, Matthew Fear raised the silver disc over his head and pointed it at Jeremy. Jeremy hesitated. His smile faded. Matthew called out the words on the back of the disc. Dominatio per malum! Jeremy's head exploded with a low pop. At first, no one was certain where the sound had come from. Mary was the first to realize that something horrible had happened. Jeremy's skull cracked open, and the skin on his face blistered and peeled away. Pink brains bubbled up from his open skull. His face appeared to melt away, and another face pushed up from under the shattered skull. Another head appeared on Jeremy's body. The head of a white-haired man, his cheeks scarlet, his eyes brimming with hatred. Fucking amazing. William Good, Matthew declared, still holding the strange medallion above his head. Yes, it is I, William replied weakly. I almost stole your daughter from you, Matthew, (laughs) but your powers are stronger than mine. Jeremy, Mary shrieked, finally finding her voice. Jeremy, Jeremy, where is my Jeremy? There is no Jeremy, her father told her. There never was a Jeremy, daughter. It was William Good all along. He used his evil wizard powers to make himself appear young. (laughs) Some liberties taken. (laughs) William Good glared across the candlelit room at Matthew, his hatred too strong for words. He raised a trembling hand to point an accusing finger at Matthew. Jeremy! Mary cried, her eyes darting frantically from face to face. Jeremy, where are you? Where is my Jeremy? Where have you hidden? My lady brain can't understand. (laughs) Some liberties taken. (laughs) Constance, help comfort Mary. You are also a woman. (laughs) You understand her woman ways, Matthew ordered. But Constance remained rigid with terror against the wall. With an animal cry of rage, Matthew again pointed the amulet at the figure of William Good. Dominatio per malum! He screamed. 
power through evil unless it wasn't clear enough. (laughs) William's entire body trembled. His eyes rolled up in his head. The skin on his face began to crumble. He sank to his knees, his clothing appearing to fold over him as he crumbled, crumbled in seconds to powdery gray dust. Jeremy! Mary shrieked, racing back and forth across the room, her eyes wide and fearful. Jeremy! Where's my Jeremy? I'll literally continue doing this for the rest of my life! As Matthew stared down at the pile of dust under the crumpled clothing, a triumphant smile crossed his face. He tossed back his head, opened his mouth wide, and began to laugh. A loud, gleeful laugh. Jeremy? Where is Jeremy? Mary demanded. Where did the man go? Ezra asked Edward, his eyes wide with horror. Edward grabbed Ezra up into his arms and held him pressed tight against his chest. Matthew laughed harder, joyful tears pouring down his face. Stop laughing, Matthew! Constance screamed, running over to him. Stop it! Stop it! Matthew laughed even harder. Where is Jeremy? Where is he hiding? Mary cried. Holding Ezra over his shoulder, Edward grabbed Mary's hand. What? I cannot go without Jeremy. I still don't understand this for some reason. (laughs) Mary replied, gazing at Edward with dazed, unseeing eyes. Come on, Mary. Edward tugged her hand. We have to leave. We have to get out of here. Holding his bulging sides in case you forgot he was fat, Matthew (laughs) roared with laughter. Stop laughing, please, Matthew, his wife pleaded. Matthew laughed harder. Constance began pounding her fists on his chest. Stop laughing, stop laughing. Matthew, can you not stop? Mary, come on. Edward pulled Mary to the door. Ezra, clinging to his father's shoulder, began to cry. Edward pulled Mary out the door into the cool night. Jeremy, is Jeremy coming with us? (laughs) Mary demanded. No, Edward told her. Come with me. We have to leave this farm. Tonight, he pulled her into the darkness. In the house, Constance continued to plead with her husband. Matthew, stop laughing. Stop. Can you stop? Can you stop now? Despite his wife's desperate pleas, Matthew continued to laugh. His round face bright scarlet, his enormous stomach heaving, (laughs) his mouth gaping open. He laughed and laughed. Loud, helpless laughter. Maddened by his triumph, Matthew would laugh without stop for the rest (laughs) of his life. Oh my Part three, God. Western Pennsylvania Wilderness, 1725. <laughs> <laughs> that scene. Oh, amazing. Worth the price of admission. <laughs> oh, there's so many things I love about the scene. A, I love that his head fucking Pops. explodes. Yeah, and then the description, like we said, we're not here for Bob's writing, but the description is top-notch. It's exactly as gory as you would want a fucking teen pulp horror to be, you know? The descriptions are visceral. There's just enough, like, adjectives to be like, ew, gross. Bubbling brains. Ew, nasty. Right, and it's not artful at all. He's just like, the brains bubbled, the skin melted, just ew words. It cracks and crumbles. Yeah, yeah, ew words. (laughs) And I, I love that they describe the head exploding with a pop, 
but then roll it back to say, no, actually the face like melted and like stuff was bubbling. So it wasn't actually what happened. Yeah. I always imagined this like explosion of like blood and brains and skull and eyeballs. No, 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 no. It's just a pop as if he was like wearing a fucking plaster (laughs) mask and then it all starts to go to hell. Right. And then... From inside all of the gore, a perfectly, and I like to imagine that it is also perfectly clean. Oh yeah, no, I didn't imagine blood or anything. No. Actually, there's no mention of blood, is there? No, it's just his white hair. Like this perfectly normal old man head fucking men in blacks out of the remains of the fucking Jeremy head. (laughs) So I like to imagine that when William Good, after seeing Edward fall off the roof, went to whatever hut he built himself and like slathered mud on his face and then did mm-hmm. his ritual and that that just turned into living flesh and bone and things like that that it just was like sure. just like putting on a mask you know yeah yeah, yeah. cuz obviously she's kissed him she would notice if it was like he tasted of dirt or he was dry yeah. or whatever no he's real no it's a real face like it's so over the top ridiculous and impossible that there's no attempt to explain how no, it happened. Not at it's all. It's just, he's an evil wizard. I think Matthew even says, like, somebody, he's an evil wizard. He used his powers to trick you. Like, that's yeah. all we need to know. That's all you need to know is that he did this thing. But it's super fun to see his spell fall apart. Yeah. And to, like, hear his voice afterwards. Like, when you were reading, it's just like, well, you got me. <laughs> uh, man. Got me again, Flash. <laughs> I almost made right? I almost married your daughter, but you're one step ahead of me. I was going to put it in her. (laughs) How would you like that? Mm. I was going to fuck your daughter the way you fucked mine, but... (laughs) Except literally instead of metaphorically. I also love that William, old man William, knew what the teen girls like. Yeah. (laughs) He reads the teen bop. Right. My teen Sona is going to be like this blonde haired, open shirted Fabio kid, you know? It's so funny because I recently rewatched a couple episodes of Future Man, which I Mm -hmm. love and it's ridiculous and raunchy. But Wolf, one of the characters, literally like turns to the other dude and he's just like, give me your shirt because he's smaller than him. And so he puts on this like small shirt so it's tight on him and he like goes outside and he like chops some wood and he gets all sweaty and he's like doing it so that he can go sleep in a regular bed tonight (laughs) so that he can like seduce the widow and that's all i just imagine is like william good being like i need a tight shirt i want to sweat a lot i'll be a farmhand girls dig farmhands i mean he really does because like mary describes like watching him chop wood and stuff yeah she's like oh he's like moving things oh his shirt is all soaked now oh god the shirt's gone he's just a sweaty tan man (laughs) (laughs) my 1700s teen heart is just overjoyed (laughs) right i'm having all these feelings i don't know what they mean It's ridiculous. He did a great job. I truly think that if Matthew hadn't dispersed the spell, he could have just stayed Jeremy forever and like died at the age of like, I don't know, 40 of old age. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Then there's the corpse. So there's nothing you can do about that. And then Mary just has the worst funeral of her life. (sighs) Poor fucking Mary. 
every woman, and we still have a small final third section, but another thing I had been thinking about is just how much the women get fucked over. Like, the men get fucked over, but they are active, and they get to ever attempt revenge, or to, like, gain power or whatnot. All of the women, their only crime is that they, like, fell in love with a dude. Yeah, they're the fucking consequences of the men's actions. Yes, absolutely. So, like, Susanna fell in love with Edward. That's literally all she knows that happened, and suddenly she is being burned to the stake. Martha Good, nothing. Had Susanna. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Susanna is, is Susanna's mom. Did nothing. Suddenly is being accused and burned to the stake. Mary met a cute boy, and now mm-hmm. she's crazy. <laughs> um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Rebecca got married, had a kid, either was hung or was maybe William suggested that she hang herself. Yeah. But um, killed herself. Constance will get to, but yeah, um, that's all the women. Good job. (laughs) Right. And like the nature of the madness that they descend into, particularly Mary, like Susanna, Susanna at least has the wherewithal to be like angry at Edward for abandoning her. I do love in her scene where she's just like, oh, Edward has betrayed me. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And she's like, fuck that guy. I actually thought the curse was going to come from her, which at least would have been a little more agency for her. To just like curse him on her fucking death pyre. But be like, you left me and then um, decided I was a witch. Cool. Yeah. Nope. It was dad. Nice twist. But still, zero agency for any of these girls. Nora... Our framing device is the only one with any agency, and it's to tell the stories. Mm-hmm. Of, of men fucking women. Over, yes. So. I feel like Mary loses all characterization once she goes crazy. Oh, and, yeah. And, like, I get it. She went crazy. You know, like, she had a, a mental breakdown. She saw her lover, presumed could have been lovers, face explode, and then an old man show up, and then he turned to dust. Like, you have had a traumatic event. Well, here's the thing, though. Matthew experiences the same fate, essentially, as Mary does, but it's established later that Matthew retains his mental faculties, even as he's literally laughing through it. Like, he leaves a very Matthew letter. Like, he retains agency. Mary is just waiting at the fucking widow's walk for her non-existent boyfriend to show back up. Her her secret old man boyfriend. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) All right, so the last section, let's do it. So we cut to Ezra, an adult man, adult man Ezra. He is bitter and whiny and it's excessively unlikable. Oh my God, right? I wanted to like this kid, but then he showed up as an adult. Yeah, he's just, Ezra is the worst. So he reveals that after Mary and Edward left the farm, they went and they holed up on in like some cabin far away. Edward... Worked himself to a young death. Yep. He hit 40 and died. Yeah. And he left Ezra there to be cared for by Mary. And Mary lasted like what? Like another couple years. And then she killed herself because she just couldn't stop asking, where is Jeremy? I do not believe. I think Ezra's an unreliable narrator. I think that Bob thinks that she killed herself by drowning in that little pond. I think she probably accidentally drowned herself on that little pond. 
<laughs> is that your headcanon? My headcanon, yeah. Is that because Mary was so, where is Jeremy, where is Jeremy, she probably just, like, waded into the water at one point and, like, got tangled or couldn't come out or something like that. Like, I don't think she thought, well, I guess I should just go, I don't know, face down into a pond for a while and try to breathe. Like, it doesn't make sense for the character. Well, I think it's Bob needed her out of the picture. Yeah. And the only way that he could imagine her death was her killing herself, because obviously that's what she would do. She's a lady who's been, who's left her lover, so. Right, we saw that Rebecca already did it with Ezra, so. Mm -hmm. Which is why I believe that Bob believes this, and I believe that Ezra believes this, but Mm -hmm. I think that poor Mary just, like, had an accident and drowned. And that could have just been a thing. But no, it must be more tragic. She must kill herself. Okay, fine. Yeah, I mean, that's the fucking fear curse, Mm -hmm. you know? So he goes back to the fear family farm. Oh, he's gonna hunt down the goods. That's his thing. He blames the goods for... He remembers the night that William Good showed up. He remembers that everybody had, like, that people had died, that his mom was gone. Like, he remembers things. He was six. But, like... He wants to get revenge because, like, he lived a good life and then that night happened and they had to leave and they were stuck out in the middle of nowhere and his dad worked himself to death and then his aunt tried to take care of him, but she wasn't totally, like, on this plane of existence. So he's like, you know what? Fuck that guy. I'm going to go hunt him down. Maybe Uncle Matthew is still there and I can get information from him. Yeah. So he goes back to the Fair Family Farm because Matthew and Constance didn't go with Edward and Mary. And he finds uh, Matthew's old den walled up. (laughs) That was some good shit. But it hasn't been walled up very well. So he's able to just like grab the bricks and like pull them out. Yeah, he didn't cement it or anything. Um, And and then a skeleton pops out. Grabs my throat. No, it doesn't, kid. (laughs) Uh, And what he finds is that Matthew left a death letter where he says essentially that he... Killed Constance yep. because she tried to leave him. Yo, it sucks. So this is, you know, where Constance's one is. She attempts to escape and he's like, oh, it was for her safety. I had to hit her over the head and render her senseless. You rendered her fucking dead. Yeah. No, he killed her and then walled both of them up into his fucking den. But we're safe to now. To escape the good question mark? Because, yeah. like, William was dead at this point. Right? Like, why... He clearly was not doing so well. Right. But yeah, no, like, as as we discussed, Matthew retains his fucking agency, enough agency to kill his wife. <laughs> to wall them up in there. Like, he had to have knocked her out in the first place to put this wall up. <laughs> well, she he said that when she realized that he was walling them up, that was when he had to knock her out. So, so ridiculous. Yeah. And that's kind of where the book ends, right? Yeah. Ezra finds the amulet, of course. Oh, yes, of course. My only inheritance. Dominatio per malum, etc., etc. <laughs> I'm just picturing Adam Driver as Ezra. <laughs> you just picture like a whiny little string being Kylo Ren. Yes. <laughs> Snapping this fucking necklace off of his dead uncle's skeleton and being like, my only inheritance. Right, what a fucking whiner. Because he says it bitterly, like, instead of being like, "Mm, my only inheritance. Like, kid, you have a house, you could live here. Right, also, like, 
oh, this fucking tragedy befell my family. Like, mm, my only inheritance. Like, okay, <laughs> Fuck you. sir. Yeah. So he resolves to, like, find and destroy the rest of the goods. But yep. heading off to Wickham. This is something that R.L. Stein is going to cover in the rest of the saga because it's being narrated by Nora Good, TM. Yes. So obviously, baby George from the beginning. Oh, yes, yeah, Susanna has a tiny baby, so he survived. Oh, okay. So it's like... I forgot about him. Yes, George exists, knowing nothing of this, I'm assuming, but maybe his father took him. Like, maybe Jeremy didn't lie, and they had spent time together, but he said that George went back to Wickham Village because he couldn't stand his father's obsession. And of course, Jeremy is William. Um, yeah. So, like, George Good has clearly lived and had a family. And now Ezra's there, which means Ezra has to have a family because he's the only fear left. Right. So it's just like, it's the same thing we ran into with the hawks and the snakes. <laughs> we are like, if you're always killing each other, how are there still more of you for the next generation? I was so confused at the end of this. I was like, but where are the goods coming from? You killed William and Sarah and Martha Good. It was George. George is the only one. But he was literally okay. a fucking baby when that happened. All right. Yeah, I immediately forgot about him. Not me. I keep track of it all. I'm like, here's my string board. Let's go. <laughs> You're like, all right, I've made my own family tree. Because <laughs> you missed people. But um, that is the end. Nora tells us that there's still more to go. It is a long and bitter tale, and I must finish it before the night is over. This was the thing. I must finish it before the night is over. Like, why? I'm sure Bob will tell us. I hope so. Returning in The Secret, September 1993. The bloody feud continues. Jonathan Fear Which wants clearly, to- clearly, that means Ezra had a kid. Right, so we. it sounds like we're skipping Ezra. I guess, which is weird to me. Jonathan Fear wants to marry a girl who could end the curse forever, Clearly but Jonathan good. knows she's hiding something. Is she telling the truth? Then, two Fear sisters fall in love with the same man, so we're obviously going to skip oh. again. Yep. Uh, a man named Good and their rivalry ends in death. <laughs> That's the scene I remember. Okay, okay. Which means I know nothing about the third one. It's just so interesting because we've got Nora, like, on the cover and being here between these stories, but it doesn't sound like we're gonna get to see her story until number three. I don't even know how much of book three covers her, like, you would think the whole book, but I Mm -hmm. bet that there's, like, a story a couple generations before her that she has to tell. But every generation seems to just be a fear and a good one to marry and someone's pissy about it. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to some innovations in the yeah. structure. I like oh, the idea two of two ladies. Yeah, two mm. girls interested in the good. Ooh, okay, okay. Want to see what Bob does with that. Uh, so, like, maybe Ezra will be old. Maybe. Maybe he'll be daddy fear. Yeah, he'll be in the, the Benjamin Matthew role. It's just very strange, because, like, if he was going up there to kill them, how hard would it be to find... Hey, uh, so Wickham Village, right. Um, anybody with the last name Good? There's an E at the end of it? Oh, well, there's George and his family. Cool. Shink! Got a knife. <laughs> <laughs> maybe George left. Who knows? Maybe. Maybe. I'm sure we'll find out. I'm sure we'll find out. We won't even have to wait that long. Right? Because we're going to record tomorrow. For once, there will not be a giant gap for us. Yeah. You know. Sorry about you guys. but. <laughs> <laughs> So, this was the Fear Street Saga book one, The Betrayal by R.L. Stein. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, would you recommend it? Mm. 
Yes, obviously. <laughs> it's very, very silly. It's not good. It's, it's not very good. silly. We we read most of the good parts, but there are still some like pretty primo dialogue choices. If you're up for something that's very campy and silly and incredibly misogynistic, <laughs> then you'll have a good time. I feel like I could recommend this to people who remember reading R.L. Stein and Christopher Pike, mm. even though we know mm-hmm. Christopher Pike, you know, he won the battle. <laughs> but like, if you remember reading R.L. Stein and you don't remember reading this one, it is so tropey and ridiculous. You'll enjoy it. If you've oh, yeah. never read an R.L. Stein book, I don't think I would recommend it. Just because like, if you've never read one, you probably don't have a need to. That's right. But if someone is just like, I want to read a quick little creepy, spooky horror thing, I would be like, have you read the Fear Street Saga? Because it's ridiculous. <laughs> Although, if we were recommending any Fear Street related products, obviously the movies yes. are leagues better oh than God. anything Bob ever produced in this series. I'm sorry, Bob. Sorry, Bob. Not but sorry. it's true. My housemate was like, wow, I can't believe this is based on books that Arl Stein wrote. And I was like, hold your horses. and he was like oh okay because you seem to know a lot i'm like i knew references that they were making that were like tongue-in-cheek for people who had read the books but yeah it's like the movies are so good um the middle one was my favorite but the third one wraps it up so perfectly and you Mm -hmm. like you can't get anywhere without the first one which was awesome so highly recommend it and it's like worth noting that the movies are at least directed by a lady. I don't know if they were written by her too, but like that makes a difference. Yeah, and it shows. Yeah. I was thoroughly impressed. Yes. All right. Well, thanks for listening. Yeah. Good times. We'll be back with episode two, The Secret. At least the betrayal makes sense. I'm looking forward to seeing if The Secret means anything. <laughs> I I had that thought, too. I was like, is it going to be relevant? Who knows? It sounds creepy. (laughs) Sounds good. All right. Uh, Well, I am Ollie, and you can find me on Twitter at Olivia Hennis. You can also find the podcast on there at Backlist Podcast. How about you? You can find me on Twitter at Endless underscore Run, and you can also find us on Patreon, patreon.com slash Backlist and Chill, where you can get the episodes early. Yes. And thanks again to all of our patrons who yeah. support us. You uh paid for my new laptop. I can't you uh it. paid for maybe some money towards Ollie's new laptop. So in thanks the future, much. yeah, I'm I'm always impressed with the fact that people you know come hang out with us. Please come talk to us on Patreon or Twitter. Anything you want to do, we want to hear about it. Yeah, tell us about your favorite Fear Street book. Yes. All right. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.